0: This is the Yesu Communitas podcast, a show devoted to Hmong American identity, theology, and mission. Thanks for joining this episode. Be sure to like today's show and subscribe to Yesu Communitas on iTunes. And now your hosts, Daniel, Mila, and George. Hi, welcome back to Yesu Communitas. Um, today, for episode five, we have something interesting to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about Hmong American Christians and kind of what we can bring to the larger body of Christ. We're going to touch on topics such as what we bring to the table topics of insecurities all of that Um, but most importantly we're going to start off with stories of your biggest fob moment so if you guys don't know what fob is it's f-o-b fresh off the boat tell us your biggest fob moment
1: oh man so outside of like socks and sandals outside (laughs) of
2: what that's not (laughs) fobish Uh, you that's know, hipster, man.
1: The good '90s white beater under a button-up <laughs> that's not buttoned up. Oh no, you did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did all of it. I thought I was fly. Did you? Did you wear gangster clothes? I did not. Like a, no. I did not go into the jinkos or... and the Timberlands. No. <laughs> I did not. That was that was uh, my older brother's.
2: So. <laughs> um, oh man. I think for me. Um, I've had some fob moments. I mean, if you look back at any of your pictures, especially if you grew up in the '90s, it looks—it all looks pretty fobby, <laughs> you know. But for me, I definitely did have the classic Hmong, like, long hair split down the middle, oh, uh, yeah. and, which is hard to imagine because <laughs> I don't have any hair. hair. <laughs> yeah. So, I think there's one picture on Facebook if you can if you can trace it back far enough, where. Uh, uh, it, this is before Facebook, but I posted it, uh, I was 15 and I've got long hair and it's slicked all the way back. And, uh, we're posted, we're posing in the back of a, of my friend's yard and he's got a starter jacket on and we all look kind of <laughs> gangster, but we're not gangsters. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so I guess that's pretty fobby, you yeah, know, but actually, see, I'm not embarrassed of it though. I'm proud of it, man. That's yeah. Detroit ghetto. Yeah. Though. Yeah. You <laughs> know. Some pride there.
1: Um, I think, thankfully, I can say I never went to Q Studios. And uh, <laughs> what if, you guys, is that? if you guys don't know, it's a Minnesota thing, but it's a, a photo place uh, uh, in the mall. And, you know, you get all oh. your friends together and you do some. Oh,
0: I know what you're talking you about. Those zombie. wallet photos. Yes, the wallet <laughs>
1: photos. Um, I have a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think my biggest fob moment, though, um, would have to be uh, one day. For some strange reason, I thought that Lee was just an Asian last name. I didn't think that white people could have the last <laughs> name Lee. And, and I had a, a teacher named Miss Lee, and um, she was white. And I was confused, but there was also a, a Korean teacher whose last name was Miss Park. But in my brain, like, it just registered better to call her Miss Lee.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. And so
1: I called her Miss Lee one day, and she was just like, why did you call me Miss Lee? You know my name is Miss Park. And I was just like, well, I thought Lee was the only Asian name in the school, so I figured your name was Lee. (laughs) That's that's not Fabio. That's racist. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. Well, then that was just a confession.
0: <laughs> we're just gonna pray. It closes up. Yes. Out. <laughs> uh,
1: I wish I was Fabio, but I don't. I was I was really whitewashed when I was a kid. Were so, you? Yeah.
0: Growing up in Minnesota.
1: Yeah. Uh, I I grew up with with uh, a lot of white friends, and so like it was it was sad because my friends would speak to me in a mo- and I'm just like, bro, I don't understand you at all. <laughs> I don't know what those words mean. Um you seen so. that,
2: you seen that episode on have you you guys watched Fresh off the Boat? Uh-huh. That I've one, seen only uh, one. Oh really? It's not that good. But there's a it's uh there's a scene where Eddie Huang, the 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 lead character, he he goes to his mom, he says, "I need white people food." <laughs> because his mom would just pack him Chinese food to eat uh-huh. at, at school. Though so I had a couple moments like that. My mom packed me like sausage and rice and I was so <laughs> embarrassed. yo. Just
0: in, starve.
1: And <laughs> Autumn of My Heart, when she brought that uh, little tin of food and it was like that fatty bacon in there, I was like, Mom, why can't I have that? <laughs> <laughs> what,
0: do you have for and J's?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, Italian Dunkers.
0: Dang, you you two were white, white men. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I have that many. The only thing I can think of is like when you're walking around the outside of the house and you realize there's like a dried piece of rice like stuck on your uh, clothes. Yes. Then I'm like, oh, nobody. I hope nobody saw that. But that happens <laughs> yeah. on your sock, on your shirt, on your jeans. It's just it's everywhere. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Um, Okay, well, now that uh, we finished our confessions, um, so, you know, we're talking about communitas, right, Mm -hmm. where kind of the sense of you leave the community, you go outside the community to learn things. Uh, with the sense of almost bringing it back to your community to teach them, you know. If you guys want to learn more about communitas, this is to the listeners. Um, go on the website. There's a tab that talks all about kind of where the name came from. Um, but that's essentially kind of when I think of your guys' ministries and what you guys have done. And so I wanted you guys just to kind of speak a little bit about that. What has it been, what has it looked like for you to leave the Hmong community, to go out there to the larger body of Christ, to serve it? And kind of what are some of the things that you've learned?
2: I think for me uh if I had to summarize all that um, cuz it's been about 9 almost 10 years now um I I feel like um that's just a natural extension uh of the Hmong church so I feel mm-hmm. like um you know there might I don't know I don't know about you George but there are times when I've kind of heard through the great vine people have said oh you guys left the Hmong church and stuff like that mm-hmm. I always thought that we were sent out <laughs> not <laughs> yes, that we exactly, left you know yes. <laughs> yeah, good. and so um I think that's been my perspective you know that we are a part of the missional thrust of a missionary people. yeah, um, And so that's been my perspective for the last nine years. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I think for me, again, growing up uh, whitewashed, but also uh, just growing up experiencing a multitude of uh, different ethnicities and different cultures, um, I, I never really felt called specifically to the Hmong church, mm. and and I remember being 16 uh, and And saying these things um and and throughout college, you know still not really feeling like you know uh God was calling me to to serve a specific you know just community of Hmong people uh but giving me opportunities to deal with. Um, racial reconciliation, um, you know, founding organizations on on campus uh, to understand other cultures better, um, and even now in my experience at TEDs, um, you know, the Lord's still working through that. I, yeah. I'm, I'm a part of Mosaic Cohort, which is uh, uh, a cohort of students who who focus uh, a good amount of their time on on how to reconcile different things, whether it's Racially, social, economic, um, education, uh, all these topics that the churches should be talking about, you know, we're, we're studying these things. And um, for me, you know, again, you know, not, it, it was it was odd saying not feeling called to the Hmong church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a lot of pushback <laughs> for mm-hmm. saying those things. <laughs> yeah. um, but even when, when I started serving in ministry, it wasn't in the Hmong church. Uh, my first opportunity was in a Chinese Lutheran church. Mm-hmm. And then from there, um I served in a, a white evangelical free church, and even now I'm serving in a multicultural church a multiethnic church uh, in Vernon hills and so um all of these experiences you know i'm 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 taking in and I'm learning more and more that um, we are a missional people um and and that uh we have opportunities outside of just the Hmong people that other, you know, other cultures appreciate, Mm -hmm. other Mm -hmm. individuals appreciate. Uh, I don't think I've ever been in a ministry situation where the other people haven't felt blessed Mm -hmm. to know more about the Hmong people, to know about, um, you know, the story of God meeting the Hmong people, um, which is close to me, you know, because my great-grandfather is Boya, and, you know, being able to share that that kind of legacy, and they're like, wow, Mm -hmm. like, so, yeah, I think God's definitely putting us on this trajectory of of having to be ready to serve greater communities um, uh, outside of just the Hmong context, and uh, it's, been, it's been a great opportunity to do so.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I would say you guys are the anomalies of <laughs> kind of what we see growing up in the Hmong church, and so being able to step out and stuff. Um, I'm curious, like— What were some of the difficulties you guys faced stepping out, you know, because not very many people do step out, at least Mm -hmm. right now in Mm -hmm. in our day and age. And so what were Mm -hmm. those difficulties and kind of how did you work through them? How did you overcome them?
2: I think for me, just sharing a little bit of my story, uh, you know, growing up in the Hmong church, 20 plus years, um... You, i always i I never knew if I could lead non Hmong people and so it was a big insecurity of mine and so I remember when we moved to Texas back in two thousand nine and one of the first persons that i uh, uh discipled and, and 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 became a leader was a was a six three uh, white former professional soccer player, and I just felt so insecure because I grew up in inner city Detroit and we were mm-hmm. living in an affluent uh tech- uh dallas suburb. And, you know, um, completely different environment from where I grew up. And I was just so insecure. I didn't think that I could lead or disciple somebody like that. And um, so that was probably a a journey for me. Like I was was always as confident in doing public speaking and those kinds of things. But when it came down to loving Hmm. and living and caring for uh, as your own people, um, I had a difficult time for whatever reason with white people. You know, mm-hmm. it was almost easier for me to do it with black people because I grew up in Detroit and it was 85% black city. Um, and so that was a big challenge. And he, God used that person in my life to really break down some own kind of, racial barriers in my own heart mm. and when uh, i began to love him and care for his spiritual growth and then seeing him grow i thought the lord really used that to do a work in my heart that gave me a confidence and saying you know what <laughs> i mean we can we can be leaders of of other kinds of people you know not in an arrogant way yeah right? just kind yeah. of like god can use us like what god you can use us in, in that kind of way mm-hmm. so yeah
1: <laughs> yeah i think the initial challenge for me was um my parents were, were all on board for me going into the ministry, you know, they fully supported me. Um, but they always had the dream that I would serve in a Hmong church, okay. you know. Um and so because I haven't yet, you know, the message is still, you know, when are you coming back? <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> uh, you know, the, the church is ready, the church is waiting for you. Um I think you've spent enough time learning in other communities to, you know, come back to the Hmong church and, and use what you've learned. Um, which I think is true and I think you know with this calling now uh, with with the goal of this podcast you know we have that opportunity to share what we've learned outside of um, the Hmong uh, culture and context um, but beyond that you know the challenge of you know I think maybe some some other uh, of you pastors out there who are listening um, you know have this idea but uh, that that white people or other groups of people aren't going to respect you mm. as much mm-hmm. as the Hmong church is going to respect you. Um, and and this insecurity that, you know, they really won't care for you when you're serving them. Like, mm. if anything, you're just going to be their token, mm-hmm. you know, token piece of diversity on their staff. Um, and, and I think, uh, in my experience, that hasn't been the case. Mm-hmm. And I also think that that kind of mentality and thinking um, is very... Uh, destructive and very you know hindering of, of what we're capable of doing for the yeah. kingdom yeah. Um. you know again uh, we should never move out of fear we should never do things out of fear so if you're you know in a place of insecurity of whether or not you know you're gonna be taken care of in a church but God is calling you there you know fear is never the answer to to make a decision and so I think as as I've experienced ministry in other situations, um, if it's the body that God's calling you to serve, regardless of the color of the people, regardless of the race or ethnicity, um, if God is calling you there, one, you're probably going to be stretched and grown. Um, whether that means it's going to be easy or not, you know, mm. um, really depends on, you know, how willing you are to, to be stretched and grown, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and secondly um other people are going to be blessed by by your ministry yeah you know and if you're being obedient to the lord in that um you know the the rest of the congregation is going to be blessed and so mm-hmm. um i think those are two very big points to to understand that you know yeah, we're Hmong. We're yeah. we're a meek people. <laughs> yeah. Uh we don't make a lot of noise and you know, we we keep to ourselves and do what we can to get by. <laughs> you know, that's kind of that's the mantra of the Hmong people. We survive. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. We're survivors. But um beyond that I think we can thrive. And I think yeah. God's calling us to thrive, yeah. especially in ministry and in mission.
2: You know, and I find that depending on where you feel like do you feel more Hmong or do you feel more American, there may be More or less tension depending where you're at because I was just as you were talking and I was listening to you talk. and How old are you, George? 26. 26. Okay, so we're a little bit, (laughs) I'm a little bit (laughs) older than you. I'm 38. Uh, So, and I was born in America, so I'm completely a second gen, but I think sometimes I'm more 1.5. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, cuz you know i was born in 79 we just you know mong people just started arriving so i really had that kind of like you know early american uh, immigrant experience so i think in some ways i i i feel a little bit 1.5 more than i am completely 2.0 you know second gen and i think because of that i'm always consciously aware of my mongness i'm sure you are too you mm-hmm. know and i'm sure mm-hmm. you are too my you know um you know constantly aware of your mongness and for me i think um especially when we planted in toronto where there was no Hmong people, and um mm. you know i I definitely felt like there was a giving up of my personal preferences in order to connect to other people, mm-hmm. you know, and so we had to cook differently, we had to talk differently, we had to kind of you know lead differently you know you could, you you had to be a little bit more confident you know mm-hmm. um a little bit more uh what's the word like maybe flamboyant. <laughs> uh, no, that's not the right word. <laughs> in Toronto, yes. <laughs> Grandioso yeah. or something. Yeah. You know, a little bit more charismatic in leadership, you know, because that's the American style of doing it. Mm-hmm. And I do find myself, because I've, I'm probably a little bit more 1.5, that I do have to extend myself, you know, beyond my mowness in mm-hmm. order to, to be able to lead. And I don't know if that'll ever go away, you know. Yeah. Um, you know do you feel that at all or
1: yeah I mean like there are situations where you know I'm serving in uh, the YDfCA church first free Maplewood right and we go on these retreats and it's myself uh, the other youth pastor um, who his name's Kenny King um, shout out to Kenny uh, I'll, I'll tell you to listen to this episode sometime Um But, uh, and then there was our intern, right? And so the three of us are in there. And and for me as a Hmong person, I'm like, well, Kenny can't sleep on the floor. (laughs) My dad would kill me if I let, you know, an older man sleep on the floor. Um, And, and, you know, I didn't want the other guy who was, you know, an intern getting thrown into the mix of spending 72 hours with a bunch of youth, you know, junior hires at this retreat um, to have a bad experience. And so, like... Just that meekness and humbleness yeah. of being a Hmong person, I was just like, yeah, you know what? I'll sleep on the couch or I'll roll something out on the floor, and I'm I'm good. And he was like, no, dude, like we can take turns, like. And I'm just like, no, like just understand, I'm Hmong and this isn't gonna happen, you know. Um, so there there were times where where it really came out, but I think again, like it was uh, all for the benefit of you know the the church. Not mm-hmm. to say that I was second to. Um, you know, Kenny, but that my own cultural experience made me do something mm-hmm. um, that you know was a blessing to someone else mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm.
0: that's good yeah, kind of just to go off that like you being Hmong and you guys kind of being in a context where you're probably the minority like what are things you felt like you've brought to the table you know because I think when you're in a Hmong community, it, looks the same, so you don't really notice what you can bring to the table, but what have maybe people spoken about your culture or just who you are, what you've done, what have you brought to the table?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to answer that a little bit differently, um, and then I'll uh, answer it directly. Um, first thing is, uh, I learned this from Daniel Lee, who uh, directs the Asian American Initiative in Fuller. Um, great guy. If you guys have are not familiar with him, get familiar with him, uh, Dr. Daniel Lee. and um, he uh he he was I said in a session that he was teaching and he said it was important that all Asian groups uh that we don't uh, neglect the fact that all Asians are different. Like right, there isn't mm-hmm. just one kind of Asian type. Um and so we all have you know different stories, you know, some came as refugees, some came, you know, uh, you know, for uh you know uh, economic reasons. Um but he says but there's a usefulness in also um Holding on to the Asian uh, label, you mm-hmm. know that there's something useful about that, and so uh, you know constantly whenever I'm in a room, I try to not only represent that I'm Hmong, uh, but mm-hmm. I, that I, I represent an Asian group as well. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's a greater sense of. Um, camaraderie, I think, you know, even with South Asians, you know, Indian and yeah. Pakistani people and stuff like that. So, um, and that was really important for me to realize that, oh man, so we have some ownership in that space, you know, mm-hmm. we can contribute as Hmong people in the Asian space and we need to be proactive and, uh, you know, we need to also, that's why a part of this podcast, you know, even though it's Yesu Communitas, we all want to raise the awareness of Southeast Asian leaders. Um, and I want us to kind of do this together because, um, When you just kind of focus myopically on who you are as a Hmong person, yes, there's a lot to contribute, but -hmm. you forget the resources that can happen when you're aligned with other Asian groups. So I think that's really important because together, collectively, what you do bring, and I think this is more of a responsibility than a gift, um, because Asians in North America, uh, at least, we're the fastest growing demographic right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Part of that is South Asians. Um, but we're the fastest growing demographic and we're also, um, per capita, the, uh, most affluent. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Asians are not poor. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at it, we're, we're not poor and we're, we're the fastest growing group. That means that we're, we are increasingly, uh, taking on the responsibility that white people, uh, have been having historically, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, you know, it's kind of a funny way to think about it. But I think to, instead of saying, oh, I'm gifted with my Hmong story, you know, everybody look at Bando and, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. And, you know, and, and people are kind of patting you in the back, you know, for your, uh, you know, refugee story. Mm-hmm. If you turn that around and so, say, you know, I'm actually a part of this other narrative, the Asian narrative, that we have increasing responsibility in this continent to, uh, to be an older brother uh, to others. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of changes the tone for when you walk into a room and you are a minority, you realize that, no, I actually represent something really important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, to that uh, effect, I, w- I would say, you know, Dr. Peter Cha here at uh, yeah. at Trinity has done a lot of great work Um around understanding the Asian American, um, and Asian American immigrant experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and if we really look at where we stand amongst the racial groups in America, um, Asians are, are in this category where, um, they're accepted more than, you know, Hispanics Mm -hmm. and African Americans, um, in the public eye and, um, and make as much money as, uh, the white people do. Um, and in that kind of situation, we're given, you know, like you were saying, responsibilities um, and opportunities to uh, still be minorities, but but be in a a better situation than our Hispanic and African American brothers are socially within within the the, um, American culture. Mm -hmm. Um, But that being said, uh, I think that, you know, one, in the Asian experience, we then get to be reconcilers or yeah. bridge makers mm-hmm. when it comes to having conversations about um, racial reconciliation, um, socioeconomic re- reconciliation. We can step into these spaces both as a minority but also as an accepted member of society. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, I think that's a responsibility and opportunity that we really do need to step up into and take up. Yeah. Um, as as unconfrontational as most Asians are, mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'd we'd more than be happy to just mind our own business and make it through life and and say we did well for ourselves. Yeah. But we have this opportunity to to speak up on behalf of our other minority uh, brothers and sisters. Um, and then uh, within that Asian um, responsibility, then we also have this understanding of, of being Hmong and, and we have this story behind us, like you were talking about, the refugee story. We have this understanding that um, our culture in itself, our ethnicity and our ethnic culture um, is so rich and vibrant. And in, in, um, in to the other side of your coin um, is a gift um, to the rest of the world mm-hmm. to understand and to see. And uh, especially in our story of being Hmong American Christians now. Um, to see where the church is, to see where it's growing and, and how it's thriving. Um, we, we can really speak into then, um, whether it's other minority churches or um, into you know, the white American church of how do you reach out to Hmong people? Mm-hmm. How do you do ministry alongside with Hmong people? Um, and I think one tough question that I've been trying to answer for myself and um, listeners, um, maybe you can begin pondering on too, is with our experience um, as Asians or as Hmong people, how do we not just take the white model of how to do ministry, of how to do theology, how to understand doctrine, um, but how do we come aside, uh, alongside uh, our other ethnic Minority brothers and sisters and churches, whether it's the African American church, the Hispanic church, other Southeast Asian churches, um, and and line up ourselves amongst them. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's that that's going to be you know something that's going to catapult ourselves into what mission looks like in the future, mm-hmm. and and what ministry and what the church itself is going to look like in the future. Yeah, yeah. that's good. I
0: like that. Yeah, I think that's really cool uh the idea of being a bridge it's funny yesterday just yesterday so i'm in this class where we talk a lot about uh controversial issues so we've been talking a lot about blacks and white and the whole racial issue um and we've been doing a lot of reading on white privilege and you know Mm. black oppression and yesterday i just raised my hand i was like where do the asians fit in this conversation (laughs) and i'm like the only asian at wheaton (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i like i was like where do the asians fall in this conversation you know because i'm like as i'm reading this I just don't hear my, my people's story, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. something that my professor said was, um, she's like, it's interesting that she's like, Asians, I would call them privileged minorities. Mm-hmm. You know, she's mm-hmm. like, you, you've got everything that, uh, you know in terms of white privilege you're respected in that way but you're a minority where you're never going to be accepted as a white person Mm -hmm. and so she said you're kind of the bridge of the blacks and the whites and so in the dialogue like that's where you can insert yourself you know and so Mm -hmm. i think that was really encouraging for me where i feel like i don't have a space to speak i'm just you know like a color that nobody cares about but Mm -hmm. i'm actually kind of i have the potential to actually be the bridge builder and so that was really cool Um, Okay, well, just to kind of move on in the conversation, um, kind of, so when you were stepping out into kind of the larger body of Christ, what was something beneficial for you to have, whether it was a person or a tool or a posture, um, kind of, can you speak a little bit on that?
2: Yeah, two things. Uh, One was a mentor, um, and I think without a mentor, I don't think I would have been able to navigate the space outside of the Hmong church. Um, so a guy named Bob Roberts really took me under his wing. Mm. And I remember uh, he took me to, uh, lunch, uh, out of all places, a, a a Chinese restaurant, (laughs) (laughs) which he said it was his favorite, but I don't know. (laughs) And, uh, we were just talking and I was talking about my insecurities and I remember looking at me straight in the eye and he's big Texas guy. He says, Daniel, you need to stop thinking like a minority. (laughs) And, uh, I understood what he was saying. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, uh, he wasn't telling me to think like a white person. That's not what he was saying. He was trying to remind me that, hey, you know, uh, your father is, you know, the heavenly father and that you're a kingdom citizen. That Mm. that's the mentality that you need to approach all things with and so that was huge for me and so Bob's always been that person continues to be that person for me Mm -hmm. to help me navigate the space whenever I just want to kind of recluse and kind of do what's simple I think about you know his investment in me and uh, inspires me to move forward and now I work with guys you know like Ed Stetzer who He's fantastic at, you know, just kind of lifting up uh, women and minorities and so mm-hmm. just very much in the, the space of in evangelicalism. and He wants to see kind of other leaders emerge. And so mm-hmm. it's been really beneficial to be around these guys. Um, and even though I still feel that kind of insecure Hmong person inside, you know, um, every time I am with them, it reminds me that, you know, God's privileged me to... To have good mentors, and then secondly, I think is good theology, uh, and that's kind of a weird uh, resource to think about, it, but it's true. Hmm. And the the thing that I always carry with me is Jeremiah twenty nine seven, and that's my passage uh, really when it comes to this, because it's in that passage where uh, God says to um, uh, the Israelites in Babylon that you know. Uh, uh, pray for the city and seek its welfare and when it prospers then you will prosper and mm-hmm. so that that for me theologically is huge because what it tells me is that when you're in a strange place which the Israelites were there in Babylon uh, that don't hunker down and just think about yourselves that actually seek the welfare of everything else around you and God will mm-hmm. take care and not just integrate you but you'll prosper and so mm-hmm. that theologically has been kind of the place where I have hung my hat and so um uh, I'll say one last thing about that. Uh, it's kind of, you know, the paradigm shift for me has been this. Um, you know, uh, there's one philosophy that tells you to assimilate, you know, to assimilate. just be like them or become white or become, you know, mainstream mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Another philosophy is to segregate, which is kind of, that tends to be our mong philosophy, you know, kind of just do your own thing. Um, but the biblical gospel uh, vision is to incarnate, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you don't uh, assimilate, you don't segregate. You have to incarnate, mm-hmm. and so it's a very theologically driven reason why you're, you exist in a space where uh, you're the minority because you're incarnating yourself for mm-hmm. God's mission. So, mm-hmm. to me, theological uh, reasons is a very important reason why you would step outside. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you
1: know. yeah, I would, I would definitely echo you in, um, in having a mentor um when you step out um and a mentor of of the other you know uh race or ethnicity um context that you're in um and one it it allows you to to share your insecurities like daniel was saying um but two um it it, it that person becomes a gateway to you understanding better the culture or context that you're serving in, mm. um, which is which is crucial. I will never forget um, the conversation about Hmong time in serving <laughs> in a white EFCA church.
2: <laughs> oh um, no!
1: <laughs> and and for me, it had. Uh, I, I went to Northwestern, uh, which is predominantly white. Christian private school in, in Roseville, Minnesota. And, and the joke about me was, if George is 10 minutes late, he's on time. Oh. Um, and, and, you know, it, to me it was a joke. But I remember being pulled aside, um, taken out to Denny's, and we sat there. And he was like, Kenny King was like, George, we need to talk about this. Hmm. And he didn't even say it was about time. Like, this was just a lunch meeting. He was like, we need to talk about this. And I, like, started chuckling, and I was like, I know exactly what you're (laughs) going to talk about, and I am extremely sorry. And he's just like, you know, I I get that there are some cultural ties to time, and Mm -hmm. and I understand that. But you also need to understand that you're serving in a white American church, Mm -hmm. and that time is something that's very important. To these people, um, and to your your coworkers, and to you know my boss, and when you show up late, like these are the messages that you're sending. Hmm. Um, and and I I wouldn't have known that unless I had someone from that cultural context explain those things hmm. to me. You know, wow. and so it's really 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 crucial. Um, you know, even outside of a mentor, to just have relationships outside of your right. own context um you know genuine relationships that will allow you to interact with someone in a real way where they can pull you aside and where you can have you know whether they're difficult con- conversations or or just good conversations and in, in educating each other um, you need to be open to having those kinds of relationships um, and and so tied to that is then just uh, a mentality of humility um, and teachability um, mm. and you know, not stepping into a context and situation and saying, "Well, I know what I know, and this is what I bring to the table," and and you guys are going to learn from me. You know, I think um, sometimes we can get caught up in that, um, but when we walk into a different context, um, Joshua Jip, Doctor Jip, here at uh, TEDs, um, does this. Uh, great job of of understanding hospitality in biblical times and and hospitality as we think of it today is like oh you invite friends over you're a good host to other people who you know you know Mm -hmm. Um, but in biblical times hospitality was used to make strangers known Mm -hmm. You know, so it's not about bringing over your cousins or bringing over, Mm -hmm. you know, a group of friends and being a good host, providing snacks and things like that. Mm -hmm. Hospitality was used in order to make people who you were unsure about, people who were complete strangers, who, who were even your enemies, you know. Um, friends making bringing them into your fold into your household and and having something to owe to each other um, and I think that takes a lot of humility when it comes to cultural contexts, um, and and we have to to be like humble enough to say okay uh, in my situation I don't know you fully um, but I want to meet your needs however your needs need to be met, so that I can get to know you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with those kinds of postures, I think it makes it a lot easier to um, to make it mm. in a different context other than your
2: own. Yeah, it's good.
0: Mm. Awesome. Well, so I'm going to kind of steer the conversation a different way for a bit. Um, so I think we can kind of safely make a blanket statement that uh, Hmong people still have a tendency to be prejudiced a little bit, maybe. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. And so, kind of, I think this is a stumbling block kind of for the Hmong Christian community. Mm-hmm. And so, what are ways you guys have seen that? And kind of to add another layer to that question, how can we repent from that as a Hmong Christian community so that we can move forward as a church?
1: Yeah.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a huge one. I would say um yeah, absolutely no question that we're prejudiced um and you might even be able to to say that we're racists uh, as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know, uh because of uh whatever fears or uh you know, kind of that that orphan mentality that we talked about a few episodes ago. Um I think it's important, especially for Christians who, um, you know, have a, a, a good grasp of the gospel. Not not just the atonement for sin. I mean, that's huge, um, and that's the basis for it. But the gospel of reconciliation, and I think that um, that that's why it's important to preach a very complete gospel. Yeah. You know, God's reconciled us to Him so that through that reconciliation we can be re- reconciled to others. And I think that message needs to permeate a little bit more and, and percolate a little bit more in our Moan communities. And I, I don't want to give our first gen a pass, uh, but... To a certain degree, because of language um, restrictions, some mm-hmm. of them will probably just, in a sense, live in those prejudices. You know, and in some yeah. ways, you can't necessarily hold against them. But for our generation, I don't know if we will have that luxury. And so, mm-hmm. I think for those of us who we we say we have the gospel that we need to really let that drop and allow that to change. Like you said, George, it has to change our relationships, you know, it has to change uh, who we love, who yeah. we live with. Um, it doesn't mean that everybody you, you know, uh, are friends with should not be molded but mm-hmm. it does mean that a significant number of them should be, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would say, you know, um, yeah, really allowing the gospel to do its work in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah
1: it's it's a difficult thing Um, especially one understanding our first-gen situation um, the orphan spirit um, and this mentality that that we've been oppressed um, for a lot of our history and I think a lot of the first-gen mentality you know within the last decade was still everyone's our enemy (laughs) (laughs) Um, and and so uh, that's, that's been something difficult for, for me to, to combat, um, growing up because like I looked at these brothers and sisters, especially, you know, Christian brothers and sisters. And I was like, okay, how do I view them correctly? You mm-hmm. know, um, how do I interact with, especially through college? Cause you get all sorts of people in college. Um, but arrogant, ignorant white people who ask, Frustrating questions, um, and I think a lot for for our um, Hmong pastors who you know went to white private colleges, um, predominantly white colleges, uh, they struggled with that a lot, and I think a lot of them came out with a lot of bitterness hmm. towards white people and saying, "Man, they just they just don't get it," um, and so we carry on these these kinds of mentalities. Um, and and our experiences are all different across the board but i think um when we sit in those things and when we can't get over them uh we find ourselves uh really like disheartened and and not wanting to step into that mm-hmm. um and feeling like it'd be much easier to just stay in the Hmong church and serve Hmong people who understand me yeah. and who aren't going to ask you know Stupid, insensitive questions. Um, so I think that's one of the difficulties that that we have to face, um, especially in our education, because there are no institutions, yeah. you know, that are going to teach you theology and prepare you for ministry, mm-hmm. um, unless you go through the TE program, <laughs> you know, in the <laughs> CMA. True. So, mm-hmm. um, but all that being said, I think uh, as we look at prejudice and as we look at ways that we can be racist. Um, uh, again, we have to find spaces of humility to, to one, repent um, of those things uh, and, and really ask the Lord to, to show us how, um, how we can love each other um, in the midst of difficulties and not allowing those difficulties to, to be defining moments for us um, in how we interact with other cultures.
0: Mm-hmm. As a Hmong people on mission, um, how do you think the Hmong church needs to be to continue on in God's mission? Do you think we can do it alone? Do we need to change? What are your thoughts on that? Uh,
2: I think there's no question that um, moving forward, uh, we have to be more and more comfortable with uh, multi-ethnic integration. Um, and uh, because um, I, I, I give a talk um, about... You know, for Hmong people, if you just share the gospel uh, with Hmong people, that's evangelism, and we should do that. Um, but it's not until you begin to share the gospel and just dis- make disciples of other people that you're actually mm. doing mission. Mm-hmm. And so, by definition, you know, mission requires non Hmong people in your life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, that's a good one. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> in order to do mission, you have to have non Hmong people in your life. So, that's the only way to move forward. But also, just even as a people, uh, I think we have to be comfortable more and more uh, integrating and, you know, and not being afraid that that might lose our Hmongness. You know, I, this is a profound thing that happened to me that as I stepped away from the Hmong community for mission, I rediscovered uh, a lot of beautiful things about yeah. what it means to be Hmong. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I think that newness and that renewed commitment to who you are, your uh, ethnic identity from God as given by God happens when you're outside of that context that whole communitas concept so mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah um, we can't do it alone we mm-hmm. can't do it just as the Hmong church uh, and and this is not to push back against you know mono-ethnic churches you know um, I think there's a space and a time and a place and, and a need for mono-ethnic churches um, they serve a, right now in the Hmong community you know a large multitude of of you know what Hmong church looks like um, so I'm not saying get rid of them um, mm-hmm. and and become completely multi-ethnic um, but I do think as Daniel was saying that our mission is greater than ourselves um, our mission the mission that God's giving us as the Hmong people as we talk about what it looks like to come full circle in theology what it means to come, you know full circle and uh just understanding what God's calling us to we have to be open to to moving beyond just among people and um you know as as we do so uh i believe we have a multitude of opportunities to to be a blessing to the rest of the world mm-hmm. um you know we have the story of a refugee to reach out to the refugees we have a story of of the immigrant to reach out to the immigrants we have a story of you know a model minority Mm -hmm. you know to reach out to other minorities and to reach out to our you know white brothers and sisters so there's a greater mission here and I think uh, as the Hmong Church continues to grow as we continue on this this path of um, being Hmong American Mm -hmm. um, there, there are more opportunities than for us to just close our doors to, um, to interacting with, with the greater body. It's mm. good.
0: Awesome. All right, well, why don't I just pray for us, and then uh, we'll kind of tune in with you guys for the next episode. All right. Um, God, I thank you so much uh, that we could have these conversations, and I thank you for just the freedom to be able to explore um, And just kind of like what George said, God, I thank you that we don't need to do this alone. I thank you for the greater body of Christ, and I mm-hmm. celebrate where the Hmong people fit in that. Um, and I thank you, God, that uh, we have um, even the chance to be integrated with other people so that we can learn from them and also that we can contribute, God, to the greater body of Christ. And so, uh, God, I pray that you would continue to um, give the Hmong people just eyes to see where we fit in the bigger picture. Uh, that where we feel afraid to step forward and try new things god that you would give us um, just the spirit of courage to do so and god i pray that you would give us uh, just the humility to learn from other people other race god other ethnic groups other churches god um and that that would give us a fuller picture of what it is that you're doing in uh, and through us and for us and so we thank you so much god we lift this up in your name and pray
2: Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Myla, George, and myself will be back again with another discussion about Hmong American identity, theology, and mission. Uh, But can you do us a favor? Can you share the Yesu Communitas podcast with your friends? And then also remember to like today's show, uh, share it out on Facebook, and then subscribe to Yesu Communitas on iTunes. All right, see you in the next episode.